Extend, I think, is two. I think you're right. And extend is not that many. Extend is just one. Extend is just two. I recorded all the options. <laughs> oh, boy. for the Mundangerous Crater in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 91 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about character advancement and choosing between having more abilities or getting better at what you're already good at. But first, the rogue traders lose their heads in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later, the Sandman brings you a dream in the Character Creation Forge. So the two plugs I have to do at the beginning of every episode by contractual obligation. First, TP t-shirts are available on TeePublic. That is the easiest way to support the show. They have our logo and say Total Party Thrill Podcast. It also helps us support you by cradling your torso at all times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially if you order a size too small. Which you really should do, honestly. Yeah. Tighter's better? Uh, Aspirational attire? We should make pants. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing is the Akatacon Kickstarter is still live. Uh, that is the convention hosted by the RPG Academy podcast that takes place November 10th through 12th in Dayton, Ohio, uh, at which I will be a special guest. It is still live, but please beat it to death with money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, they should be extremely close to their goal by now. As of recording, they're over two-thirds of the way there with weeks to go. So a uh, week from now, yeah, they should be good. So uh, it's going to happen. The event will happen. Which I'm happy about because then you won't be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very excited. I get a break. This will be the third time that I've gone. That's a lot of times. Mm -hmm. They keep inviting me back despite the fact that I bite children. I think their judgment is probably specious. Mm, Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of specious judgment, we got invited on another show again. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. I don't know why this keeps happening to us. Is it like that thing where we got invited to like prom and like for some reason we're homecoming king, but then it turns out that everyone's just is trying to make fun of us? Yeah, it must like be it's, that. It's a joke. Yeah, that's why we're always invited in pairs. <laughs> right. <laughs> both of them. Yeah. We must crush both of them. Anyway, who gets to do the honors this week? It is friend of the show, James Intracasso. From the Don't Split the Podcast Network, we went on his weekly show, Tabletop Babble, to talk about uh, some of our favorite RPGs, and that episode is going to be out early next week, May 1st. Yeah, we were joined by Craig Campbell from Nerdburger Games and author of Murders and Acquisitions, one of my handful of games that I've backed on Kickstarter. Yeah, you described it to me, and I said, "Mm, maybe you should get a new job. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so we talked about... Um, some you know major press games that we like, as well as down to some micro RPGs that we liked. And I only plugged my own game once. I plugged your game zero times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think you tried to unplug my game. Uh, yes, yes. And then, and then James <laughs> stepped in and said some nice things out of pity. <laughs> that guy, always undoing my good work. James! <laughs> it's fine, he doesn't listen to the show. That's right. <laughs> Nobody does. He'll, he'll hear this in like nine months when he catches up in his backlog. <laughs> we'll get a tweet in the middle of the night. Right. 
I'm so sorry. Because he's very nice. He's too nice. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of too nice, uh, or maybe speaking of why we can't just have go nice with it. things. Just go with it. Uh, Unearthed Arcana last week covers downtime. Yeah, I think we have talked a lot about how it's really nice at the end of an arc to really take maybe even an entire session to just sort of figure out, hey, what are the characters up to? What are they doing when they're not saving the world? Mm-hmm. Um, usually getting into trouble, I think. Uh, especially if you follow these tables. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so so what's in here, right? Because there's, there, there's a couple different pieces of it. I think the most notable thing that, that immediately drew attention was magic item creation. Yeah. Which is just a matter of time and gold basically time and money yeah and dm fiat right yeah and and permission um (laughs) but i think let's talk about like how they've structured downtime for DD. like what's the model of downtime yeah like creating magic items any kind of activity that you're doing when you're not adventuring and you know going on six to eight encounters per level uh is a function of how much time you're going to spend doing it, certain kinds of skill checks depending on the uh, activity that you're doing, and a certain amount of money that you want to invest in that activity. And then that will give you results, either story results or sometimes mechanical results or a benefit. And then there's you always run the risk of potentially having a complication, which either the GM can pick or they can just say, you know, everything goes fine, don't worry about it. Uh, or the rules say there's approximately 10% chance that one of these things will happen. <laughs> and depending on the downtime, it, uh, each one has a different chart. Uh, some of the options, every single one just ruins that downtime activity, which is it's kind of hilarious and fun. Yeah. You pointed out uh, in the low-class carousing activity that yeah. <laughs> uh, the worst result is, surprise, you're married. Look, high-class carousing also often ends up in marriage because you can afford to get married, okay? (laughs) So that's the basic system. And then there's another a secondary concept that's sort of rolled into it called foils, Mm -hmm. which is creating NPCs through downtime that can then influence the, the future of your campaign. The foils tables and the examples they give for creating foils are actually great for creating any kind of NPC that actually has motivations. We haven't gotten there in the Dynasty Unwarranted recap, but this was my approach to downtime in Rogue Trader, right? Was to basically, I mean, same model, right? Pick an activity that you did, tell me about it, and then I'll roll the complication. And from that, we created NPCs, you know, at least in terms of a name and and a, a loose idea of what they had done to you. And some of those became recurring as you guys kept doing other activities and they became foils. Mm-hmm, as we sort of roped them into the story as well. Exactly, yeah. So so they gave you things to, to attach onto that kind of created basically your own monsters, right? You were like, you know what? No, that keeps happening to us. It was that guy all along and I hate him and I want revenge. <laughs> so, so like mark that down. <laughs> the only, only caveat I would add that I don't see here is yeah, create NPCs with these tables. That That's great. And I will probably actually use this aside from downtime, you know, altogether. Uh, but if you are really sort of playing these foils as if they are like real NPCs as opposed to story elements, then they're 
pretty much going to kick your party into a new arc with the their machinations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this would be very strange if you... And I'm thinking uh, Storm King's Thunder specifically has downtime built into it after like the first initial encounter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say that you rolled a... Uh, 17. A traitorous noble looking to foment a revolution. <laughs> like... <laughs> How do you ignore that, <laughs> right? Like, now you're not playing Storm King Thunder. You're playing, like, against the crown, right? Right. Or, like, if you unleash uh, the one of the sample foils, Myron Rodimus, his plan is to release uh, basically a bubonic plague of lycanthropy on the town. That's an entire arc of foiling that. Yeah, no, it's cool. I'm going to go deal with some <laughs> some giants. Like, I'm going to go run a few fetch quests like all over uh, the Sword Coast now. So, But there's a tomb full of horror. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll take care of this guy when we come back because like, this is going to be easy, right? I mean, the, the map says uh, just find the green demon's head and stick your head in it and you get the treasure. Uh-huh. I believe it. Love XOXOX Acerarak. No spoilers. There, there's Yawning Portal has come out. <laughs> All right. So let's take a look at some of the sample downtime activities. And I will point out that this is one of those Unearthed Arcanas that you can absolutely use in almost any game system. It's not D&D specific, except for like, you know, some of the the numbers, but those are easily like swappable. You can change them. First off, there's buying a magic item. Uh, this is, interestingly, the only one of these downtime activities that I have a problem with. Because in order to buy a magic item, you make a persuasion check. And then based on that check, determines what kind of items you can find. Now, a lot of groups have the person who's good at like either crafting or making items or buying them, right? Maybe they're great at the commerce skill. Uh, but there are some groups where like you find your own stuff and like if you locate a sword before everyone else does like you grab it great it's yours you know finders keepers and if you're too slow you suck all this means is that the high charisma characters have more magic items it, it sort of reminds me of back in the playtest when the number of attuned items you could have was based on your charisma bonus as well and they got rid of that so i'd like to see if not a replacement for the persuasion check at least some other way to do it like a smart character should be able to dig it up as well you know well what, what about an investigation check yeah i mean i guess investigation is probably the next best for like commerce right perception so i just spot them on people <laughs> yeah <laughs> other than that though like i think you know the higher uh, a check you get the like better magic item table you roll on cool and then you still have to buy it so i'm fine with that yeah some of these things have like unexpectedly bad outcomes as well yeah like uh selling a magic item i understand the idea that magic items are rare so it's not as simple as walking into a shop and being like hey give me like your entire life savings for this old sword that i have that i don't use anymore but there's a one in eight chance that the item is stolen Mm -hmm. so like great (laughs) like you just took something away from me and now I got it. Now I, now we have to go get it back. Right. Right. That's not a complication. That's like, this that's, didn't happen. That's a plot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with the purchase. Like, uh, there's a one in 12 chance that the item is fake. A one in 12 that it's stolen. A one in 12 that it's cursed by a God. Like 
the the magic item purchase complications table is a little too bad because you roll any of those and you didn't get your item. Yeah, I, was Rob Schwab behind this? <laughs> was this another Warhammer Fantasy table turn to D D? It might be <laughs> because so, like the scribing a spell scroll, right? A thief attempts to break into your workroom is just one of the options. Due to a strange error in creating the scroll, it is instead a random spell of the same level. <laughs> like, oh, okay, great. My healing scroll is actually, like, power word kill. I mean, that's pretty weaponizable, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there are rules for carousing, which I actually love these because you spend an amount of money to go out carousing depending on who you want to carouse with. So the lower class, it's 25 gold pieces. The middle class, it's 100. And if you're a noble, you can shell out 500 gold pieces and like hang out with the nobles and then depending on how well you hang out with people with a persuasion check you can make contacts that you can cash in later for favors yeah so so those are the things that actually drive your campaign forward Mm -hmm. that i love right and and to be fair there are complications in each of these activities that i think are great for driving plots forward as well it's just that the negatives are going to so outweigh those if they come up that I think it's dangerous to even include them, but yeah, I think that's a that's an awesome one. Um, like the the way all of the carousing works, uh, the gambling is kind of interesting as well because you know, of course, anytime you start gambling, you run into like a crime lord or something of yeah. that nature, right? <laughs> but it is the mechanics are enticing enough that characters will want to do it, which is sort of ideal for a GM. Uh, there's crafting items you can't really do that much with that uh, you can make antitoxin potion of healing clothing and things like that fine whatever most people aren't going to want to spend uh, weeks making boots speak for yourself <laughs> as an original Ultima onliner <laughs> I will fletch that arrow sir sage plus black pearl <laughs> <laughs> plus an hour of sitting staring at my computer screen <laughs> Oh, you just had to over overclock it. Like you played in an emulator and just ramp up the the clock speed. Great. <laughs> Although it made moving on the map really difficult. <laughs> Actually, I think you initially had to start out by like seriously reducing the clock speed because the original Ultima games weren't based on like real time. They were based on processor flops. And so the a faster computer just made the program run faster. Right, so you had to slow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also a research ability, or uh, a research activity, which is one of the most common things that we use in our groups for downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's cool that it even gives a nod to the idea that maybe a player or their character would like to spend some time learning about the world around them. You know, oftentimes that's kind of forgotten outside of the legend lore spell. Yeah. And it's nice that it's sort of codified, you know, like usually, oh, you want to do some research? Okay, make uh, an intelligence check, I guess. Oh, a 15? What the hell does that mean? Yeah. Well, this lets you bank those things too, Mm -hmm. which is cool. So it's like, oh, I need to know this now. I would like to turn that in. Right. Uh, Oh, wait, I remember that I read this a year ago. Yeah. Somewhere. Right. Because like I read a lot. Uh, there's crime, which this is one of those uh, crime and pit fighting. It's basically you make three skill checks. Now, they name the three skills. I think uh, GMs should accept other skills if your 
players can come up with a reason for it, right? Because the three, for example, the three skills that you have to make checks in for crime are uh, stealth, thieves tools, and then your choice of investigation, perception, or deception. But like, if you're not doing B and E, if it's like money laundering, <laughs> is that a downtime activity? I'm gonna open up a front business. <laughs> or if you're just trying to swindle an old lady like out of her like worldly possessions. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like you probably don't need to make a stealth check. You're gonna you're gonna pull lady killers. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to make sure we touch on is training, which gives you a way of trading time and gold for proficiency in a language or a tool. Which I think is great because language proficiencies just get in the way of role playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and tool proficiencies are rarely that critical. So it's it's nice to be able to just add those in. Are there I don't think there are really other ways to get more tool proficiencies. I don't think so. Yeah, I think aside from like a few multi classes and then languages you need to get feet, right? Is there a linguist feet? Yeah. Yeah. So like those are resources nobody spends. But like some extra money and some time like that's something you can definitely work into the story right and then your intelligence modifier reduces the time and cost as well smarter people learn languages faster yeah so there's that i'm done with that all right so on the whole downtime fun just don't let it spin into whoops my campaign is now completely off the rails yeah yeah there needs to be a note in there for (laughs) new gms all right speaking of off the rails (laughs) <laughs> new gms <laughs> shane where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign so the dynasty unwarranted campaign is our rogue trader game uh that we are playing with the dark heresy second edition rules by fantasy flight games and the rogue trader crew of the his enduring light uh, was ambushed and captured by dark eldar while answering the distress call of an imperial navy frigate you have been held uh, in a makeshift cell along with some other um, prisoners, naked, afraid, tortured, um, looking for a way out. See, look, I come to this game every week to role play what my life isn't. Yeah, <laughs> and but I really don't appreciate you like making it what my life is. Well, stop showing up to my apartment naked and afraid. Stop torturing me while I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, so you met all of your cellmates. Uh, it was kind of a motley crew. There were some orcs. There was some humans. There were one dark Eldar who seemed rather dejected, uh, as well as a strange stool that was sitting in there. Strange carbon fiber stool. I, I believe uh, the technical term for dark Eldar is Deldar. Mm, mm-hmm. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least that's that's what the heretic says is the case. Yeah. He might be lying. Yeah. Well, he's probably going to get a clave through the throat at some point. <laughs> So, have you made friends? You've kind of made a couple friends. Well, yeah, the priest of the emperor, the god emperor of mankind. Yeah, he's he's our buddy. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made friends with uh, Lieutenant Bupido, who seems to be a very competent navy woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have also sort of, you've gotten the Dark Eldar uh, listening to you, mm-hmm. if not bought in. Right. Uh, and, and the orcs are no longer trying to kill you. Yeah, I mean, the Free Buddha Ront kicked uh, our Psyker Flare square in the chest and sent him sprawling, so, like, he's my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think you gambled with the Gretchen. Oh, right, he wants teeth. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was he was looking for teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's one thing we're good at is 
killing people and I guess now taking taking their their teeth. So sure. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what I was going to do with them. If there's one other thing you're good at, would you say that your arch militant Draco is good at misreading the social cues of a situation? That's a possibility. It might become a theme for him. (laughs) It, It kind of is. Yeah. So you kind of meet everybody sort of, Get everybody on the on the same level, right? That, yeah, we all would rather not be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's kind of work together. And, and when the opportunity presents itself, let's escape. So everyone is loosely bought into that. Um, you know, you've got explosive collars around your neck. So if you uh, upset any of the Dark Eldar, they'll just pop your head off with a nice little explosion. Yeah, that's um, a problem. But you've worked out a solution for that mm-hmm. because the turns out the carbon fiber cylinder that has been used as a stool seems to be telepathically enabled and <laughs> also has like radio waves that it's casting out and it can intercept and uh, scramble that signal. Very handy. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> what are the odds we'd find it here in this cell? <laughs> and what is it? We're like 30 sessions farther on, and I think we still don't know. <laughs> yeah, actually, what what is your theory on it? Because I don't know that you guys have really followed up on it. Uh, it's a heretical piece of technology, probably. Some weird Tao shit. Mm, I mean, it's definitely heretical. It's, it's not Imperial, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, there you go. So you think it's Tao? Uh, Trank thinks it might be Tau. Mm. I think that it's probably warpy in some way, which means it's probably not Tau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got nothing. I mean, there's a lot of different Xenos out there yeah, that it could true. be that aren't like the, hey, we have armies. Yeah, that's <laughs> fortunately for you. Uh, anyway, uh, about this time, the guards come in for a uh, work detail. And Draco, for some reason, thinks that he has worked up uh, the, the Dark Eldar in, in the cell. Uh, Sarath has worked him up into like a righteous fury uh, and that he is ready to lead the charge against his former allies and uh, and fight for freedom. And so as soon as the door to the cell opens, he rushes. And some of you guys follow. Some of you guys follow. <laughs> yeah. However, Lieutenant Bupido does because she's very gung-ho. She is, yeah. She's ready to get out of here. Uh, so Draco engages in hand-to-hand combat with the Dark Eldar, who are um, a little bit faster and better equipped than him. Bupido disarms one, takes a knife, and goes to town on him. Sort of proving she's not just a Navy lieutenant, right? Uh, She is certainly much more skilled with this strange Eldar weapon than one would expect Mm -hmm. someone in the Imperial Navy to be, yeah. Mm. She's also a lot faster than we thought she would be. A lot faster than, yeah. (laughs) At any rate, your surprise attack is not met with support from either your orcs or your Dark Eldar ally because, man, Draco really read the situation wrong. Just whiskey was involved. Mistakes were made. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, Draco loses a hand in the fight. (laughs) Yeah. Which is bad because... He's a gunslinger, like a two-fisted gunslinger. Yeah, he he, fa- he fancies himself as Doc Holliday. Yeah. So he thinks he should have a gun in each hand and be fast talking. And right now he's missing one requisite hand. <laughs> Though he immediately threw a hand and a stump in the air at that point and was like, <laughs> okay, f*** 
up. Good. I'm good. <laughs> what happened to Bupito? Uh, she made a mistake. Mm. She got too far outside of the radius of your good friend's stool, and her head exploded. Well, now we know what the radius is, because that was our problem before. We had no way to test it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, you've lost a remarkably skilled woman in the process. Yeah, and most of us are pretty discouraged. But not all of you. Yeah, uh, the lazy freebooter Ront is actually pretty impressed that we rushed the Deldar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he recognizes that it's stupid to have done what you did. <laughs> Which is saying a lot for an orc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what's the net outcome of this? I mean, minus one hand, but what do you get for your trouble? Uh, the beatings continue until morale improves. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which has a secondary effect. Yeah, it means that we are taken out of the cells more often either for torture or work detail, which means that we can scout some more. Mm-hmm. And on one of these little scouting torture forays, if you will, what do you find? We finally locate Shure, the, uh, one of the other incubi and the rival of Sereth. And the man that he has told you, you must kill if you want him to help you. Dun dun dun. We'll find out if we succeed next week. Alright, so this week we're getting a little bit into the nitty gritty of the mechanics, but in a generic way In of like speaking. a fun way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as we talk about uh, breadth versus depth in character advancement. Okay, so let's define some terms first. What do we mean by character advancement? Because we've said before, unlike character development, which is forwarding the story of a character, character advancement is when you increase the numbers on your character sheet or get new abilities or your level goes up. Right. It's it's when you change the mechanics of your character. You get more XP and then you spend it. Mm-hmm. So... When we talk about depth, we're talking about concentrating heavily in a smaller number of abilities, specializing, basically. Yeah. You're a level two fighter. Now you're a level three fighter. Which means you fighter better. Mm-hmm. As opposed to breadth, which is gaining a greater variety of abilities, but not being as good at them. You're a level two fighter. Now you're a multi-class level two fighter, level one rogue. Which means you are... As good as a level 2 fighter, as good as a level 1 rogue, but not as good as a level 3 fighter or a level 3 rogue. Yeah. You uh, you fight, and, and you rogue, just not as good as anyone who's fully dedicated. Right. But hey, if there's no fighter or no rogue, you'll do in a pinch. Yeah, so this is a decision point. Right, and and it doesn't matter. You know, we're, we spoke in D and D terms or class based terms, but it doesn't really make a difference whether or not you have a class mm-hmm. structure, right? I mean, um, <laughs> this is like our constant problem in Savage Worlds. Ah, uh, yeah. But we do it in Dark Heresy for the Dynasty and Warranty campaign. I mean, it's a decision that gets made basically like every system that has a choice in character creation, unless it's completely random, you've got to choose between depth and breadth. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in some systems, it's far more obvious. Like, think about mutants and masterminds. No classes at all, just points. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where are you going to put those points? Well, are you going to increase your blast power from nine to 10 to, well, you know, 
to keep up with uh, how enemies also ramp up in mutants and masterminds. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're going to get a totally new awesome cool power. Like you could spend those points on now being able to fly. Yeah. And even super simple games like uh, like Everything is John where your character basically has like three skills or not even. It's just things you're good at. It could be anything, any verb basically. And uh, and if you make those verbs very concentrated, you've specialized. And if you make them very broad and disparate, you've genericized, right? You've you've gone for breadth. Always go for breadth in everything's John. Yeah, well, in that case specifically. <laughs> <laughs> that one's kind of solved. <laughs> what are you good at? Talking? Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be more specific. Being? Ta- talking to adults? <laughs> Wine tasting? <laughs> nope, too specific. <laughs> tasting stuff? <laughs> taste. <Yeah>. Good taste. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've perfectly optimized it. <laughs> I, I think this comes up even if you take out multiclassing like in D&D, right? Even within a single class, since you still have choices as to how your character advances, right? So if you're increasing your the strength of your fighter you're still specializing in that part versus, you know, maybe increasing your intelligence or your wisdom, which gives you a broader skill uh, and and shores up a weakness. Yeah, if you think about a system like Dungeon World where you're basically playing an archetype, but you can choose a new move when you're advancing from your playbook or a different playbook. Mm Mm-hmm. So, But even when you are choosing specifically from your own, there are some moves that are going to make you better at the sort of main thrust of your role and then others that are going to emphasize the secondary nature. Yeah. Games like Savage Worlds have actual skill trees, right? And I mean, D&D 3 and 3.5 had feet trees, yeah, right? Where you, you had prerequisites to advance and, and the further you went down the tree, allegedly the more powerful it gets. Uh, in Savage Worlds, that typically means just stacking more of the same bonus on top of itself. All right. So what does this dichotomy, like this tug of war, mean when you are a player trying to determine, you know, how you're going to best express your concept or like how you're going to cover different roles at the table in a particular party? So I think generic of system, breadth typically means that you'll have a chance to do more things but probably won't succeed at them as often. And depth means you'll do fewer things, but you'll be very good at them. Yeah, so think about this. Do you like to roll dice a lot, or do you like to win? Right. <laughs> like, would you prefer to be the person who like always has an answer for that? Do you want to be rolling three different skills during a planning session or you know when the party is trying to break into like a mansion or do you want to make sure that probably 95% of the time you're going to be able to pick that lock another way to think about it is which of the pillars do you want to like which of the pillars of gameplay do you want to participate the most in right so and D&D you pretty much have no choice that combat's going to be one of them um, unless you multi-class way too much but do you want to have something to do in the exploration pillar? Do you want to have stuff to do? Uh, and how much do you want to do in the interaction pillar, right? You know, how how broad do you want your skills to be? Do you want to have a skill for everything? Or do you want to, you know, like you said, really focus on 
picking that lock, right? That's that's the only thing I'm going to do here. But when that comes up, I got this. And I'm okay, like, leaving my dice on the table and letting other people in the party take the lead when we're not picking locks. Right. And, and so I think there's no right or wrong answer. No, 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 no. Which one's better, Shane? <laughs> well, I think there's a sweet spot for everybody, for one. <laughs> um, and I think I think certain games have sort of a tolerable upper limit and a tolerable lower limit for mm-hmm. either. Yeah. Right, where you need a certain amount of breadth or else you're too specialized and the cost of being good at something is too high, right? Um, where also you have a cert- you need a certain amount of specialization because just being able to do everything at base competency doesn't let you succeed. Yeah, think about it this way. If you are the fighter, you've pumped your strength really high because you want to hit and you want to do massive damage, and now you get a feat or an ability score increase. Well, you pump that strength at 20, and then... You spend feats on like combat feats and you're amazing, but now you cannot make a saving throw for wisdom, intelligence, or charisma to save your life because literally it's to save your life. Yeah. You're always a toad. And unfortunately what that means is that you probably fall into a pattern as a character of you're targeted in a certain way Mm -hmm. because you're weak to something uh, and your only reaction to it is to play your strong suit. Right, so if you are insulted in the king's court, the only thing you can do is draw your sword. Right, you don't have any other way to interact with the world because you're too specialized on com in combat. Which ultimately means, like as a player, you're probably going to get kind of bored. Right, because like you can't role play out getting too angry because you don't have anything else to do other than ruin the campaign by killing the king. Right, and then the flip side of that is, you know, if you go too broad then you can't defend yourself in combat which Mm -hmm. is sort of the most basic tenant of the game right is don't get killed (laughs) right or in a game where each player has a different specialization there's always going to be someone who's better at that thing than you are so they're just never gonna have you do it well yeah so let's talk about that so so what are some considerations because we kind of talked a little bit about how we think about it but what are considerations that we give when we decide in in making a character should we go broad or should we go specialized well the first thing is the length of the campaign like how long are you expecting to actually play this character we say very often in a one shot specialize absolutely specialize be good at one thing and do that thing oh that's funny because i say (laughs) go broad for one shots really that you have lots of things to do in this situation we disagree. That's we do. So strange. <laughs> so I guess you got to figure out where your happy spot is. <laughs> but I, I think, and I'll, I'll give you this example, and, and tell me if I'm crazy here. If you're playing a one shot, and the driver slash pilot archetype is always the feast or famine specialty, mm-hmm. right? Because if you aren't driving or flying, you don't get to do your cool thing. So. Would you create that for a one-shot without knowing for a fact that you were going to get to drive? No, but I probably wouldn't play that in a normal campaign either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Would I make the combat machine? Totally, without knowing what we were going to play. Okay, okay, fair. But I think we do agree that in a long campaign, you know, one that's potentially going to last months or years, you probably want to lean more toward breadth. Yeah, you want you want to specialize in a couple things. But then you want to kind of set a broad base as well. One of the problems with like having a lot of different skills is 
you want there to be times for them to come up. You want to be able to use them, mm-hmm. you know. And in a one shot, like there probably aren't going to be a ton of opportunities to use everything. But over a long campaign, every single one of those is going to come up at some point. Yeah, right. So another thing to think about then is power level. You mean how powerful the characters are expected to be? Like degree of advancement, right? Like what level you're starting at in a D&D game or how uh-huh. much XP you have to spend. Yeah, if you're starting at level one, it makes sense that you're not going to be very broad or even level three, right? In the character creation forge, we often say it's often best if you're a melee character, like specialize to level five. Mm-hmm. Get your extra attack, like be decent at smashing things in melee. And then you can start worrying about doing the other stuff. We never follow that advice. No, yeah, that's, that's interesting <laughs> because because at level five, that's important, but at level four, that's not, <laughs> right? So like you've got to it ties into the length of the campaign again um because there's always a payoff point right where that specialization is now significantly more powerful and feels more powerful than the the broader character you know like like at first level in D&D having proficiency isn't a huge difference from not having proficiency in a skill right 5e is a plus 2 yeah the the plus 2 it still basically comes down to what's the what's the attribute behind it Mm -hmm. you know if you're good in strength then you're good in athletics regardless of your proficiency but when you get to level 10 you know that proficiency bonus is now what plus four your your core attributes for the best character are going to be at 18 or 20 so that you know you're talking a difference of an unspecialized character is maybe a plus one or even a plus zero and a specialized character is now a plus 10 well I, i mean one is 50% 50% more likely to succeed, right? Like it's a, it's a full plus 10 on the die. The point is <laughs> the the numbers get bigger and so they, they affect the likelihood of success greater as you advance. So are you saying that specialization is more beneficial at higher power levels? I'm saying that the payoff tends to come at higher levels for specialization. Oh, well then it's better. <laughs> I, <I'm>, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> If you get there. <laughs> right. If you make it through like the levels one through seven grind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the same way that we say get your extra attack as soon or as close to level five as possible. Like that's because you got to make it to level six or seven without it. Right. That's the challenge that you run into. Of course, though, to your point, if it's a brutal setting, say like Dark Sun, it might be better to like take one or two levels of cleric. And be able to heal yourself. Well, can't do that early on anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Of bard. Right. (laughs) Of course, that might get you killed too in Dark Sun. Well, yeah. I mean, in those settings, it's just about specializing defense and survival, right? (laughs) Take that fire, Genasi. (laughs) (laughs) What did we optimize? Oh, right. Exhaustion. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or in, uh, I mean, in Rogue Trader, you guys have, have definitely specialized in protecting yourselves right like the first thing you do because we have to yeah well yeah i mean welcome to 40k right but the first thing you do is is figure out what's the best armor we can get with our money like what's the best things we can do to prevent getting hit and then we all have to take step aside so we can dodge twice yeah we we were building a character just last week and then at the very end realized oh wait this character isn't allowed to dodge. Scrap it all. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, gone. whole thing. It's useless. I love it. Another 
and I would say maybe the most important thing to consider is the other players at the table. Because specialization only works if there are other people who are shoring up the weaknesses or the things that you can't do. You know, like, if you're the tough barbarian, sure, you can always kick in the door. But there are going to be times when you don't want to kick in the door. And you need somebody in the party to handle that for you. So if there's no one who can do that, uh, someone should probably like go a little more broad. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, if everyone's going broad, like you mentioned before, you don't want to overlap so much that you're always unsure whose job is it to do what. Or like everyone is mediocre at something and no one's very good at it. Mm-hmm. Also, it's very important not to step on other characters' toes, especially if they're the specialist in that thing. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be, like, in some systems, if you're okay at something, you can help someone who's really good at it, and then they can be even better. That's great. Uh, But if you have a specialist rogue who picks locks, as a wizard, you don't necessarily want to be the one who has the knock spell. Right. Unless you run into a situation where you have player absences with some regularity. Nope, you're just screwed. (laughs) Because that's something that, (laughs) that we build into our group is that everyone is specialized, but then we get redundant on the secondary skills because oftentimes we don't have our full group at the table. Yeah, that may sound like we're very good at planning uh what our characters do no, but no that is total coincidence <laughs> <laughs> what it is is people going oh crap they're not here and we're completely screwed uh okay well next time i level up i'm definitely fixing this so it doesn't happen again yep <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean no one else took medicaid exactly <laughs> still don't have anybody who took lore skills <laughs> well lore skills are boring <laughs> says the assassin <laughs> Uh, and then the other thing to think about uh, when it comes to other players is how flat is the system? And, and we touched on this a little bit talking about D&D. Like Kansas. Yeah, you want it Kansas flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much stronger is a specialist going to feel at the table? Right? Is it is a specialist in something going to so totally outshine you that if you don't have one cool thing that you can do, you're going to feel like a nothing stacked up to this hero? Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking of Savage World specifically because when I built my character for our Deadlands game, uh, I went so deep in getting my persuasion yeah. <laughs> that I was just a silver-tongued bastard and everyone else was rolling dice and like, like I had the success before rolling, right? And then lastly, the thing that we always consider when we are building characters for the Character Creation Forge is what is it that's going to make this character feel like the character that you're imagining in your head? Mm-hmm. You know, if you already have a concept and you're building towards something or you envision this character like maturing into something or, or going following a particular story, then what is it that's going to mirror or mimic that the best? Yeah, and I think most often in the Character Creation Forge, we're trading depth for breadth. Right, like we need to get access to some iconic ability, um, and so we're willing to give up a little bit of power in order to get that. Right, Superman flies, he shoots lasers from his eyes, and he's super strong and tough. He needs all of those things, but in D and D, barbarians don't fly <laughs> <laughs> at all. Well, they do if you throw them really far. <laughs> I guess that's maybe falling with style. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, this was, for me, 
this was brand in a nutshell right was that his concept was that he was an inquisitor mm-hmm. and so it didn't matter that he was a sorcerer slash cleric slash rogue right and and i had skills i think i never rolled but they were important to brand because that's what made him an inquisitor right like he had to have stealth even though he was never going to pass <laughs> right like in the fiction of course he's trained in it yeah, exactly. You know, why wouldn't he be? Right. Even though I will never be successful at that thing, right? Like that was <laughs> purely just character feel getting me back to zero. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, if you don't really have a concept for what this character is or will become, or if you just want it to sort of emerge naturally from the story, then great. You have points or you're leveling up, like take whatever in the moment that character would be focused on. Right. And you're going to sort of, it'll point you toward, oh, they want to be more fighty or... Mm-hmm you know what, they've been hanging out with the wizard a lot. I think they're going to learn some magic. Yeah, I, and to you know, bring it back to my own RPG stories, right? In, Again? Yeah, that's all I talk about. <laughs> uh, in our Dark Sun game, my second character, Kid, it was like, I think he had three classes in his first three levels. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and he was meant to be a blade singer swashbuckler, right? That was his thing. Is he was kind of uh, half wizard, half rogue. And now that we have been playing with him, right, my concept has shifted significantly away from half wizard, half rogue, and he's now going more rogue. Because mm-hmm. one, that's the thing that the party really needs. And two, like the wizarding stuff just isn't as core to what he's actually doing and interested in in the game. Mm. And organically in the story of the game, Kid is interacting with the other characters in the party and going, well, you know what we really need? Someone who's better at like this sneaking, picking locks stuff. Right. You know, well, I'm already good at that. Like, why don't I just get better at it? I'll focus on that. Yeah. And that's kind of his attitude as a character. (laughs) He's, he's, he's like the chosen one. (laughs) And, and he's always like the, been the assistant to people, you know? So he's like, trying to prove himself on his first mission well i mean we're also uh, a really practical party right and, oh you defiled huh well time for you to die time to die <laughs> but then lastly i think this will be tied to system you know we're, we're talking about it in generic terms but you really need to measure these things against the specific system that you're playing in and unfortunately that requires some degree of system mastery yeah but you can kind of take a step back and Basically ask yourself, are there diminishing returns for investing in a specialty? Uh, Like, for example, in uh, Dark Heresy, if you want to get better at being a psyker, if you want to increase your PR, it costs more and more to increase it by one. You know, it's very easy to go from PR1 to PR2. It is very difficult to go from PR6 to PR7. Mm -hmm. But... In D&D, if you want to get better at like casting spells and being a wizard, it's just as easy to go from wizard to 2 to 3 as it is to go from 16 to 17. You just take another level. And if you think about it, there are diminishing returns in uh, Dark Heresy, but quadratic wizards in D&D, yeah. you know, you are exponentially more powerful at level 5 than you were at level 4. Yeah, it's exponential returns in D&D. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, if you are a level 16 wizard, you are the dumbest player in the world if you don't become a level 17 wizard. Right. Games are also designed with an expectation of how characters will be designed, right? So, is it expecting a certain 
level of breadth or depth in your characters, right? Like like D&D, for example, pretty well assumes that you won't take one level of every class because yeah. you will not make it as a level 12 <laughs> character, right? It's doable. Like, mechanically, you can do it. Yeah, it doesn't prevent you. Yeah. It's just a bad idea. On the flip side, it makes a very straightforward assumption that you can pick 12 levels of fighter and you should be roughly on par with any other character okay we're gonna build that character the one of everything yeah it's, the dilettante it's, it's like it's so bad we're gonna yeah but we're gonna make it the least bad it can be <laughs> uh so i think the takeaway is that there's probably a sweet spot that you want to try and land in right where you can be slightly more specialized or, or slightly broader but you don't want to go too broad or too specialized or you're not maximizing your fun at that point but even if the game doesn't intend for you to go outside that sweet spot you could try tiptoeing outside it see what happens <laughs> yeah just be prepared to re-roll dun 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 so about two weeks ago, we actually got a question that sort of got these gears turning in our head uh, from Corey on Twitter, at uh, I Am City Folk Soul. He said he'll be playing in a solo 5e game, and he wanted to know if he should go Totem Barbarian 20, which is pretty specialized, or if he should be a different melee character, Barbarian 5 Champion Fighter 15, which certainly offers a much more uh, broad array of abilities. Shane, what was your answer? Who cares? Yeah, that's always his answer. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about your builds, is what but, he said. No, 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 no. And this is specifically because it's a solo game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said it, it doesn't matter because you're not tracking your power compared to any other character or any other player. So the GM has to adjust the game for you anyway because you're not a full party. So he can adjust it a little bit further one way or the other, depending on how powerful you are. Yeah. We didn't actually mention this in like one shot versus campaign, but like if you're in a solo game, go broad. Oh yeah. And, and that's, that's what we basically said is like, take whatever you're interested in, go get cool abilities. No one cares. Take one of each class. Actually don't, <laughs> don't take, do that. Don't do that. But, but like, why not add rogue one? <laughs> yeah. If, if it'd be cool to be a little, like you meet a wizard along the way, learn some wizard. Who cares? Yeah. Pick up magic initiate. Why not? Like there's, there's no reason that you have to be, you know, level eight power level as a solo character because you're already throwing out the math of the system to solo DM it. Right. And that that's the great thing, right? You're usually going, Oh, like, I need to get my like main stat up to 20 as quickly as I can so that like I'm good at this. Nah, strength 14, who cares? Yeah, just fight goblins a little longer. It doesn't matter. Yep. So I guess in in our model of the decision-making process, the uh there are so few costs to going broad, right? Uh that that it's not worth worrying about specializing immediately. Yeah, I agree. But Ishan which one would you play? Totem 20 or Totem 5 Champion 15? Oof. Uh, I mean, Champion 15 has those sweet three attacks. Wrong, Relentless Rage. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, but like Totem Barbarian actually offers a ton of breadth. Yeah. <laughs> just built into the class. And also like Barb 20 is such a sweet capstone. It's like really tanky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you get all those like 
dodging the uncanny dodge and that and that you can nonsense. also like see like an eagle because that's when i would pick at six yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool and then you know strength 24 con 24 <laughs> right but there is there's no reason you couldn't be like barbarian 10 wizard 10 you know like y- you can fight as a level 10 wizard or a and and then fight as a level 10 barbarian it, it doesn't matter it's it's a solo game yeah today i will use spells and i guess i won't be raging right <laughs> <laughs> actually yeah it'd be great for like a jekyll and hyde build because mm-hmm. you could totally do that and not worry about power level yep yeah do you hear that ishan uh, that is the sound of me relentlessly killing goblins over and over again because I enjoy the solo grind. All right. Well, I am already bored with this, so I am going to move on with a new character in the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. All right, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Sandman. Um, the Sandman, the Spider-Man villain. No, actually, we're not building the Spider-Man villain. We're building the Metallica villain. Kind of, sort of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're, we're building the mythological Sandman, right? The guy who shows up in a nightgown with a bag full of sand. He throws it in your eyes, and for some reason, it doesn't keep you up all night. Uh, it makes you go to sleep. Is that the mythological Sandman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a gap in my knowledge. The Sandman. Of myth. That's what. That's the song, right? The Cordette song. Mister Sandman, bring me a dream. Like he shows up and puts you to sleep. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And All then, right. then, then she can dream about him being the cutest guy she's ever seen. All right. Well, in D and D terms, I think we're gonna go for something that uh, also puts its targets to sleep, right? Yeah, pretty or, much. Or at least knocks them out. <laughs> it gets there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're basically building the ruler of sleep and dreams. I think in Greek mythology, his name is Morpheus, although that's gotten muddied Mm. in the past 15 years or so. Indeed. (laughs) But of course, there's a reason Lawrence Fishburne's character's name is Morpheus. Fair. So what's the build? Divination Wizard 17, Who Cares Sorcerer 3. All right. Uh, And your race? Uh, I like elf or half elf just because they're immune. Yeah, immune to sleep, <laughs> and they don't have to sleep. That's right. See, I would go full elf because you you trance. Yeah, total trance. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Anyone who doesn't sleep. So from sorcerer, of course, we only have three levels here. So you know, we're just cherry picking some of those lower level abilities, which is why the choice of sorcerer's origin doesn't really matter. Pick whatever you like. Yeah, but. You get two choices of metamagic, and you're definitely going to take Heighten and then probably Extend. Heighten lets you force disadvantage on the first saving throw of a spell that you cast, and Extend lets a spell last twice as long. Oh, okay. And then also remember that uh, you can trade in your slots for more sorcery points. So you can have maximum of three sorcery points, but Heighten only costs three, and Extend is just one. So you can always cash in those uh, low-level slots that you've got, and you've got plenty of them to then refuel more heightens or more extends. And you're going to want them. 
because you get a bunch of wizard spells that cause saving throws. Of course, the first one that you get totally doesn't. Because at level one, you're taking sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so sleep works by rolling a fistful of dice. Yeah. And that is the total number of hit points of creatures that you will put to sleep uh, based on lowest hit points first. Right. Lowest current hit points. Right. So if you knock something down to, you know, two hit points, it is going to go first. Right. Unfortunately, there's not really a way to optimize the sleep spell. It's really great at low levels. You roll 5d8. So, you know, it's very unlikely, but a maximum of 40 HP worth of enemies you could put to sleep. But it scales really poorly because each additional spell slot is only 2d8. So you're always at the mercy of these dice. And I think after level 10, you actually have worse than 50-50 odds of taking out a single equal CR creature. Yeah, and you're always having to worry about getting your allies in it, and it's it's just a mess. Yeah. But, again, low levels, really great, nicely thematic. However, at level 2, you get hold creature, and I don't know if you've heard, but there's a thing called sleep paralysis. Uh-huh. Uh, which is terrifying. <laughs> yes. But I also assume that hold creature is also terrifying because it paralyzes you which means that you can't move or talk, and anyone who hits you with a melee attack within five feet crits you. <laughs> nice. They also have advantage, so, you know. <laughs> so they, they probably won't miss. That's right. It's a pretty hardcore saver suck spell, and you can heighten it if you want to give them disadvantage, or if you're pretty sure they're going to fail, you can extend it to make it last more than a minute yep. if you just want to, like, hold them there for a while. And then you can also take its big brother, Hold Monster... And, of course, they pair really well with the Divination Wizard's portent ability, which eventually you'll have three of them. You roll those dice, uh, and then you can replace a d20 roll of any creature with those. So if you want yourself to roll well, use a high one. If you want your enemies to roll poorly, like on a saving throw, use the low ones. Right. Levels 3 and 4, you get some flavorful spells for someone who commands dreams. A hallucinatory terrain, phantasmal killer, which is just a night terror that stops your heart. That's This is getting to be a creepy build. At level 5, you get the dream spell, so I guess that's when you become Morpheus. Yeah, you actually show up in people's dreams, and then you actually deliver messages, or like terrify them. I love that you can do that with the dream spell. <laughs> and then at level 6, we, we kind of get the sweet spot for this build, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. that's the Ivite spell. So it's concentration up to 1 minute, or 2 with extend, and each round you... Uh, force a saving throw and if they fail you get a selection of options but one of them is that creature falls asleep so that's great there's no hit point maximum it, it doesn't matter like if they fail to save they fall asleep period and then next round you can target someone else so that's potentially 10 creatures that you're making fall asleep just by staring at them yep then at 8th level we'll get demiplane which is of course where you will sculpt your dream realm yeah obviously uh and then conveniently you can use plane shift to <laughs> force your enemies into that dream realm that might require a tiny bit of gm fiat to have it be like one of the planes that you can plane shift someone to but honestly like if you can't great i'll just send you to whatever the realm of dreams is in this particular setting or i don't know hell <laughs> let me send them to my demi plane right it's better <laughs> Uh, and then uh, 
And then I think we're going to get a little punny for ninth level, right? Yeah, of course. And so what do we get at ninth level? Uh, we get wish upon a star. Okay. I think you should only right. use it. To when... wish upon stars. Yes, yeah. okay. obviously, because that's how, of course, you make your dreams come true. Starlight, star bright, first mm-hmm. star I see tonight, that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, down comes the blue fairy. Yep, great. All right. So, Shane, tell me about your Sandman. So, as an elf, mm-hmm. of course, my Sandman has never himself slept. He's fascinated by sleep. He doesn't, yeah. like, he hears reports of dreams. He hears of visions. He hears of hauntings and, and nightmares, but he never experiences them. He's he's fascinated by them. He becomes a diviner trying to understand them because mm. it's kind of the nerdiest of the... Uh, of the wizard schools, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so, and then he eventually, you know, creates his, his goal is to create his own dream realm that matches what he hears about dreams, right? So that he can live in a dream himself oh. by visiting a demiplane that sort of uh, mirrors what he has heard and desperately wants to experience. Are you sure this isn't a villain? This is definitely a villain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I accidentally built a villain. <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to build a hero, <laughs> tell me about your Sandman. Uh, oh, sure. The When you can't put elves to sleep, you just use hold person until your friends can cut their heads off. Right. That's That's good, right? That's a good Sandman. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of villainous. Yeah, well, okay, that's actually what you should do uh, when you're actually playing the character. <laughs> if they're immune to sleep, just just paralyze them. Uh, but no, my Sandman uh, is religious, devoted uh, to a deity, but not a cleric. A, a god of sleep? Yeah, of sleep, of dreams, things like that. But he, he, here's the thing. they They actually are devoted to being a guardian of the veil between the waking and the sleeping world. So they are high intelligence because they're a wizard and they have training in religion. So, of course, they are very familiar with the liturgy. Oh. For example, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Oh. I imagine that when they cast hold person, they say, and if you die before you wake, <laughs> <laughs> I pray the Lord your soul to take. I love this idea that there's a, a deity who keeps nightmares in your dreams so that they don't become Not manifest bursting into the real world. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's perfect. I love that. But then, you know, you sort of use the power of nightmare on occasion to stop your enemies or their hearts. Yeah. That there's one thing we're missing. Paladin for fine <laughs> steed. <laughs> You're a wizard. So you just need to make sure you take the right conjure spells. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can get some nightmares. Perfect. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher as well as Google Play. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithms will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about power creep. Talking. Complaining. Yes. Griping. Griping. Mm-hmm. Griping about power creep. Uh, and in the character creation forge we are building the shadowed stalker well that's it for episode 91 of total party thrill i hope we've lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening